You're listening to The Bunker New York, live on Red Bull Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasanick. Uh, We're here all week from 6 to 7 p.m. live in Los Angeles, talking to various cohorts here. Uh, Today I have a very special guest, Les Mord. He's going to play us some of his music, and we're going to talk to him, figure out what's going on with this guy. Mm. The man, the myth. The legend. The legend. Lust Mord. Yeah. Um, so you've been at this for a very, very long time, this Les Mord project. Yeah, I should should be getting good at it by now. But <laughs> practice, practice, practice. Um, so why why did you start it? This is and this is for our listeners. This is all the way back in 1980. Was your first yeah. release? Yeah. Well, first release is 91, but I started in 80. Okay. What? <clears throat> okay. Well, that's a good question. I was going to art school, and we had a agreement that I should leave. So I left. An and agreement with who that you should leave? We mutual, sorry, we, we had a mutual agreement that I should leave art school. Cause it really, you and the art school? Yeah. They didn't <laughs> like me. I didn't like them. So so I was, do, I was doing art. Well, I was in school doing art, and it wasn't really for me. And right about the same time, uh, punk, was, punk was at its height in the 77, 78. Yeah. And industrial music was just starting. Throbbing Gristle were doing their label. And this is all in the UK? Yeah. Where you were? Yeah, I was uh, I was living in Wales at the time, and school uh, art school in Chester, which is a very old town, and uh, I would I'd heard about Throwing Gristle. I'd got in touch with them because I was really like their first album, and uh, we started corresponding. And they said, "Well, you should be doing this," and I said, "Well, yeah, I guess I guess I should." So I started literally tinkering, and then people like them said, "Well, we would like to hear what you're doing," and which they did. And then they said, told other people, "You should check this guy out." And, and somebody said we should release this, you know. And then, so you had no like in art school or anything. Did you have any training in music? I have no training in music, no. And still to this still, day, no, no production, no, no self-taught. So, so what happened basically was, uh, you know, I didn't want to have a real job, so I went to art school to delay actually going out and getting a job and stuff. You know what I mean? You don't want I think that's school. what arts. I mean, yeah. I went to film school. Yeah, and I don't do film stuff now, but it was kind of, it was kind of that for me. Yeah, my parents were like, you have to. Well, I come from school. a small. I have come from a small t- town, so there's the, the the options were, you know, be a bricklayer, work in a factory, be a carpenter, or something like that. Or I could be get an apprenticeship, and I didn't want to do any of those things. So I was good enough to get into art school, and I figured if I go to art school for a few years, that would at least delay having to figure out what I really wanted to do. And was that unusual for somebody uh, from that town oh, to like mu- get yeah. out and go to art school? Yeah, so very, were- very, very much so. Yeah, exceptional exception rather than the rule. Well, actually, the exception falls. So, and then well, what I discovered in the process of, around the 80s of I was playing, playing around, you know, I like sound. So I was experimenting with sound and I kind of discovered that I could just express myself through sound, which is, so I kind of kept on doing it. Right. So what was your studio like in the early 80s? I, well, <laughs> well, I didn't have a studio you know, for a long time. I, I would, I didn't have anything. I didn't have any equipment. So I'd borrow equipment. I would steal equipment. I, you know, I'd found objects and things. The very first track I did was uh, hitting bricks with a hammer and some tape delays. I didn't have any effects, so I literally used a steel pipe and put the microphone on one side and the 
made the noise either just to get that kind of reverby effect. Yeah, just, right. Well, it's you know, true, just, true industrial music. Well, also very much punk rock. Just You don't have any equipment, but that doesn't stop you. You just do it anyway. You figure, you know, work, work around your limitations, which I think is the, the main thing to do. You work around your limitations. Yeah, I mean, very much the same thing with mm. people starting in electronic music now. Mm. Um, you don't really need much to start putting things together. Oh, I mean, no, you don't. Whole... We don't, no. People think, people get caught out, they get a lot of equipment, they get obsessed about what kind of software people are using, but it's, if you don't have an idea, you won't do anything. If you have a ton of equipment, you can still do shit, you know? So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've so, seen, I've certainly, there's exceptions both ways, but I've seen mm, tons of that. People yeah. with the coolest studio you've ever seen in your life and literally zero releases or really anything to well, show no, no real ideas they just copy other people or something. I mean, yeah. you know obviously I'm, I'm generalizing but yeah, yeah. so yeah but my muse that when you were asking me what uh, what kind of studio I had I didn't have a, I didn't have any money so like you know how could you get a studio so. so when did that happen at what point did you I don't know have like a desk and monitors and maybe a mixer and some it was at least uh, 10 years later I think yeah. wow but I, mean, I had access to that stuff through friends and stuff earlier on, but I didn't have anything myself until... Well, yeah, you had some pretty, um, well, at this point, extremely influential friends back then. You uh -huh. mentioned Throbbing Gristle, uh -huh. and you had uh, John Balance of Coil was oh, that's right, yeah. an early, really he, early collaborator, he right? Was on, he was on my first album before he filmed Coil, yeah. How was it working with him? Oh, it was fun. I knew, when I first knew him, he was still in school. He was a school kid. We used to write to each other, and we used to hang out, and we, we used to... Yeah, in those days it was just regular mail, so we used to write letters back and forth with ideas and concepts, and so yeah, he was just a, like most really interesting creative people. You know, he's a character. He's a, he was a a little bit touched, you know, yeah, a little bit crazy in a good way. And of course, when you put creative, crazy people together, interesting things happen. Even if it's just hanging out, having a beer, you have a really good conversation, and you come up with all kinds of crazy ideas. Yeah, I mean, how did you like fall in with this crowd? of crazy creative people in the UK was this through art school or going no, to no. punk rock shows or no, what no, was it no art school was a complete waste of time for me yeah. <laughs> no I mean not same for anybody else but for me personally actually that it seems I mean obviously not true for everybody but there seems to be like a lot of really successful people in the arts who oh, either I've, didn't go or dropped well, out musicians, seems very many musicians have gone through art school yeah uh, but for me, I, I think the main thing I learned from art school is that it wasn't for me. Uh, and I'm, I'm not just saying that you know, to me, uh, facetiously. I just I knew that is not what I wanted to do. But they were pushing me to do a fine art, you know, a fine art for commercial. That's what I was really good at. And they thought, well, you know, you could get a career doing doing commercial stuff. I didn't want to do commercial stuff. So it's like stuff. super super career oriented, not exactly really yeah. yeah. Well, creative. You can't, you can't make a living, but yeah. But in, in most creative things, you can't really make a living. You have to find a, another way of supporting yourself hopefully using you know working in music or working in, in art you know maybe working on movies some but most creative people can actually make a making a living just by being creative you have to find another way of yeah i know, you know. so many people in denial of that uh, simple fact yeah well it's true unfortunately <laughs> yes it, it does happen and he's luck talent is 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 a factor but luck has a it's, lot to do with it's it. yeah. talent is a factor mm, yeah I, I mean i also know a lot of people like very angry very talented people who are angry because they're so talented and not uh. famous and successful for being yeah. a talented musician or a well they're probably or they're, they're probably doing it for the wrong reason in that case yeah huh? yeah never thought yeah, of that yeah. but you're probably right yeah. but uh, so where, where we are we're going off on a tangent i'm trying to remember what i was going to say 
<laughs> it was very deep and meaningful. I know that much. But, uh, <laughs> For sure. If you were saying it. There's, Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, there's no way it couldn't be. So, um... Are you, I, talking, are you talking about friends? You're talking about people I knew. Yeah, how did, like, it just, I mean, for you, I'm sure they're just, they're, it sounds like they're just some of your oldest friends, yeah. but for other of us to hear that you're hanging out with the, you know, Coyle and Chris mm. and Cozy and these people is like, kind of. Well I, well, I wrote, you know, I wrote to them, you know, from Gristle originally because I thought that what they were doing was interesting and they wrote back and slowly we corresponded and I got to meet them, got to be really good friends with Chris and Cozy. They told this band SPK about me. There's this other. There's this. You guys need to meet because you're all crazy in the same way, and you're talking the same stuff. Right. Know? So I met. met them, I got involved with SPK. Joined SPK for on and off over the years. Got to. Oh, John Balance. I, I can't remember how we got in touch. I think. Uh, you know, you would go to like a Throwman Gristle show, and there'd be like 150 people there, and you'd. It'd be the same people, you know? Yeah. So, so you kind of, you know, the same as you, what you had been doing. You know, it's, be doing yeah, it, yeah, similar to the, so I mean. The same kind of people crop up in a lot of things. You know, these these are kindred, these are kindred spirits. That's what it is. It, like that, it wasn't a scene as such, but there was a whole bunch of outsiders and they kind of, they had this thing in common and they were all outsiders. They didn't really fit in. And you, if you're lucky, you'll find people that uh, you, you kind of, not, you don't so much fit in with, but you're, you get each other. You're on the same page. You're 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 on the same side. Yeah. Right. Mm. Yeah. So you just kind of naturally, over time, just through your interests and yeah. connected with these people. Yeah. At probably a time in their lives where they were, in no way, uh, famous or. Yeah. Well. Well, they're just people. Also, they're just people. You know. Yeah. Them, I don't care who, who you are, what you do. You're just a person. As far as I'm concerned. You were just interested in their art and yeah. connected with them. Mm. Um, so we were talking about how you didn't really have a studio for the first. 10 years but i was uh, a note on your second album uh oh uh paradise disowned it just it just struck me on uh discogs today it says the performance oh it must be true if it's on discogs absolutely yeah it's it's checked the internet does does not lie you can't lie on discogs they catch you immediately (laughs) and change it it's it's true it's true seriously it's pretty crazy um, says the performance reproduced on this long playing records were made using very specific frequency and volume intensity, which are intrinsic to the true functioning of this testament. It is therefore vital that it should be reproduced at a very high volume. So it seems like, like even early on, like the quality of the sound or the way that people are listening to this was very important to you. Well, it was at the t- you know I was always trying to get the best sound possible, and and I was reading up on a lot of sound thing, you know, psychology of hearing and infrasound, ultrasound, you know, all the military stuff, all the industrial... Brown note. In, in, yeah, well, but also most of the taxes is industrial stuff, uh, you know, uh, safety, but also environmental things. So there's there's some really interesting... So I was really interested in sound from that, and also interested in film sound, you know, sound design. And so I was always trying to get the best sound I could, but... You know, it took me quite a few years to get the you know, equipment to being, and also learning was a factor. But also knowing that you try and do the best sound possible, knowing that damn well people are going to be listening to it on some shitty speakers or yeah. off cassette or something, which is and okay. I mean, At least they're listening to it. But you want, you, you ideally, you want people to listen to it in a and I feel close like to what it should be. Yeah. That's gotten so much worse over the years, mm-hmm. right? Where people, even your average person, used to have like a somewhat decent stereo yeah. set up with a turntable in their home. And now when I go over to people, sometimes even music people's houses and they're listening on these little 
wireless boxes. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what they're called. Or they're listening on their laptop speakers. Or they're listening on the earbuds that come with their iPhone, which are absolutely horrible. I just want to smack them. Myself. I know. <laughs> which is what they're listening to right now. Is listening to, but that's yeah, okay. <laughs> we just shamed, that's okay, we just shamed so many of our listeners. <laughs> but that's okay, because we're, we're just talking anyway. But yeah, it's... Uh, you spend a lot of time, a lot of effort to try and get something to sound really powerful and dynamic and as high quality as possible. And somebody listens to it on MP3 and you're kind of wondering, well, why, am, why am I bothering you? Yeah. And over time, I, I mean, I'm sure just from listening to your music, it's gotten, the production quality has gotten kind of insane. It's really... Well, that's really, one way of putting it. <laughs> it's really, I mean, it's just the, your, I mean, the, the production of the quality is just, it's so high now. Um, how did you get there is it is maybe doing like all the maybe we should talk about some of the work you've done in in the film industry did that is that when you really had to uh, that's a good question well, like yeah. went like really seriously pro pro up your game well the fact working on film stuff means you there was money to buy equipment that but right actually i think it's an interesting question not something i really think about but i think like we started the conversation about talking how long i've been doing this and a lot of people have been doing things for a long i think it kind of you just kind of it's not stupid, but you can like you're banging head against the wall, you know, for, for decades. You think you're one of the reasons people do this kind of stuff, this craziness stuff. You, you have to be pretty crazy to do this stuff and keep on going. And then over a period of time, you get better of it, you know, <laughs> right. just by sure being being audacious. But I don't know the guy that just being pig-headed, <laughs> being pig-headed enough to just keep on going. And then eventually, you actually, well, actually, eventually, what happens? You do it for so long, people kind of take you seriously. Oh, you must be, you must be good, or you must be kind of meaningful because he's been doing it for so long yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, i think you just you just keep at it you know? i can there's no one i mean i don't mean that that's kind of a i don't mean that as a cop out i mean you just if, if you do anything long enough yeah hopefully you get better yeah, yeah of course mm. so how did you like how did your first film commissions happen like how did that connection happen well, how did you get hired to do that well the whole, the whole thing happened because I, I mentioned i was in this band spk for a while which right. early on was a really really very important and influential industrial band but quickly became something just shit basically but the guy that was well <laughs> on the record tell us how you really feel on the record shit <laughs> <laughs> but uh well it's you know it's it's not just my opinion it's a it's a fact <laughs> so what is i saying yeah so the guy who was the main guy, one of the main guys in that band, he went on to start working on Hollywood movies. And Trace and I, who's here with me here, we were staying with him in uh, here in L.A. He was working on some John Woo movie that wasn't very good. And uh, he had some pretty awful sounds he was using. And and he was also having a lot of trouble with his Mac. And in the meantime, one of the things I'd done is invested in uh, late, eight, late 80s, I invested in Mac computers and got really good at being a Mac guy. So I was staying with him and I kind of did some troubleshooting for him. For him the studio setting up, and I also told them, look, when I get back to London, I'll send you something, because I've been doing work in my own sounds. Look, you've you got some really shit, that, that wording, and that. It's, a, it's, a te- it's a technical term, this shit sounds. And here, I'll, when I get back to London, I'll send you some stuff I've done. You can just use them in the movie, you know, as a friend, which I did. And about two, it was only about two or three weeks later, he's called me back. You, you really need to work for me. I need you to be working here for me, because you needed somebody like me to you know, actually create a, money, a sound. So we moved here to L.A., you know. Start working on a bunch of movie stuff. And you're still here. Yeah, exactly. 20 years later? 24 years later, yeah. Wow. Exactly. It's a nice place to be. Yeah. It's very dark. Which <laughs> <laughs> suits my image perfectly. Um, well, we'll talk more later in the show, but maybe... Uh, Am I boring should... you now? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, <laughs> I'm getting pretty bored. I need a break. 
Um, I'm going to play something. We'll talk about Unsound when we get back, but I'm going to play a track from this one of your limited edition live CDs. This one is uh, from Krakow in October of 2010, which is the first time I ever saw you perform. So uh, let's listen to some of this and then talk some more in a little bit.
Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. We're here live in Los Angeles with special guest Lustmord. Uh, we just heard a track from his CD, Krakow, October 22nd, 2010. He has this whole series of CDs that are... Well, maybe you want to tell us something about these. They're limited editions that you're producing yourself? Well, I've just done a few of them. That, that one's sold out now, but uh, I thought it'd be fun to... When I do shows, to have when you go to my, one of my shows, you can pick up things you wouldn't get other, uh, otherwise. So, I've done a few of these live CDs that you can only, well, mostly you can only buy them at shows, but some of them, there's a handful of goes that, that get sent out. You know, regular, much regular. smarter than what we do in techno, which is just put it up, put the recording up on SoundCloud for everybody to listen to for free. Well, you give me a look now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying it's smart. You're smart. You like made a thing and sold it. <laughs> well, you sold you sell 300 of them, and then they're gone. Still, and then they, then it's it better goes. than selling zero downloads. Mm. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I noticed on the CD that it's you know when I when I see your live show, it just it feels like just one whole piece to me. Uh-huh. But this one in particular has like eight or nine tracks on it so when you're playing live how are you approaching this are you like performing pieces and tying them together or well, is the, it well the tra- they're not actually tracks. the tracks are just there as markers on the cd so somebody can skip yeah okay that's the only way so i create so it, that's yeah. what yeah that's what i was asking when you're with like when you're playing live your approach is not like i'm playing this song then no, i'm no, playing this no, song no it's it's an arc it's a beginning and it just and then there's an end, you know, so and I try and build it into I try and build it into a, an actual arc, you know, there's, you know, freaks and troughs and stuff, but they're not an individual tracks. What I have is uh, I have a ton of audio samples and uh, audio files, various drones and pads and hits and know, and textures, and I I have a vague idea. Well, I have somewhat of an idea of the big how the how it'll start and how it will end, and I just layer stuff up and kind of improvise this whole textual thing and because uh, I want it to be live rather than, rather than be pre- too prepared and then I'll just do it by feel so if a track feels if it's sounding interesting I'll build on it if it's not really going anywhere I'll I'll start pushing it bringing other things in and pushing somewhere else because okay. I, I want it to be live I want it to be so it is very much a live performance you're not just no I want it to be live I mean it doesn't really it, sometimes it doesn't quite work or you press the wrong thing and the wrong sound comes up or whatever because cause there's so many of them I don't remember what they all are but mostly I do these things but I want it to be I want it to, the possibility of it all go wrong not from the audience from the audience point I want it you know people are paying money I want it to be a good show but from my side I always wanted to have that right be on the edge you don't really know is this going to work or not you know because it gets it more interesting otherwise I might you know might as well just put a CD in and press play so. yeah yeah I mean I think for a lot of I know for a while a lot of live performers and more in my world in the techno world were really struggling with that. Mm. People who played live just got sick of it because they were just kind of playing the same set yeah. over and over and they were, if they're bored, it's just oh, yeah. kind of natural that the audience is going to be bored because you're not engaged. So how are you going to engage a room yeah. full of people? Yeah, well, all, of my, all of mine are different. I mean, I'll try. Uh, some, there are some things that will work that I'll do again. I'll do a different version that will work because I liked it. And, but I also, when I'm preparing for a show, like I'm doing one next week, or I did one last week in Brooklyn, I, I go through what I have. And if I realize I've used this quite a few times, I'll take it out. You know, I'll physically take it out so I won't be able to use it again. So just to try and keep it new. Keep it new. Right. So was this, um, I know for, I, I've, I worked closely with the Unsound team, I think on this festival in Poland and certainly on their festivals in New York. And it was a really big deal for all of us when you came and played 
at Unsound, was that was that like a particularly like a landmark gig for you, or was it just? Well, it was like it, it was landmark in the sense I hadn't actually played live for twenty five years. So I guess if you th think of something like that as being a land landmark, I guess oh you can do some you can go you're googling now to check on me. I can tell. No, <laughs> I'm just looking at my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Note sluts. Anyway, yeah, I hadn't played live for 25 years, so I guess in that sense, I, so I, I was, suppose okay. you could call it a landmark. Yeah. So that was just uh, a new chapter. Matt's, Matt, uh, who is the curator of Unsound, just reached out to you out of the blue and asked. Well, I, I get, I would get asked quite often, but it was, it's a fairly long story. But the, you know, I was, I was in LA for a while doing all these film things. I was just busy, didn't have time to do shows. Right. And then before you know it, years about gone by, a decade has gone by. And also what happened, I transitioned away from uh, hardware to using software. And also, you were kind enough to comment that my sound has got better over the years. Well, it also, it was a much more slow, laborious process to do that. And then I'm translating what I do to a live show, I didn't really see how it could work. I think it'd be really boring, yeah. Just like an old dude on a laptop. Well, uh, well uh, a, a mature, <laughs> refined, <laughs> distinguished dude <laughs> with a laptop. Uh, so that was the main thing. I just could, couldn't figure out how, you know, I knew, I, then what happened, then more years went by and then laptops became more powerful, software became more powerful. And I knew I could, I could, uh, it could be done technically, but I wasn't sold on this idea of just somebody with a laptop doing stuff. Yeah. So where did the, the visuals come in? Because I think that's, I mean, to me, seeing a few of your shows, like it's, uh, I don't know, a less more show without the, the visual aspect, the projection, which I understand you, you create all those, the whole visual element yourself as well. I don't know do all of it. I do a, a, most of it, but I do, I do have other people that come in and do the good stuff is other people. You know, oh, the, the okay. basic stuff. The I, basic. I thought it was all you. <laughs> no, well, the really good stuff is like people that do it professionally. But uh, what I was going to say. So are those contacts from that you've made in years of working in Hollywood, basically? No, who? it was it was just doing the music. Actually, one of the guys was the guy who did a lot of stuff for Tools, live shows and stuff. You know, so I think we met. I think we met him at. at socially at tool kind of social gatherings and stuff um which is we'll, we'll talk about that afterwards when we there's a couple of other things you want to play um but going back a bit with it with the shows i need then i'm a big craftwork fan i always i saw craftwork when they were, you know when they were in the 70s wherever i used to buy their albums as they came out wait you saw them play live in the 70s or oh, late 70s you know 79 80, wow. 80 yeah um what well, <laughs> name dropping um what, did they have a visual show then? Were they doing no? Just just the four guys doing their thing. It was it was yeah. a really good, good sound and you know much much more live in those days. Anyway, I've always been uh, well. I'm not going to consider. I don't consider myself a fan as such of, of various people. But if I was a fan, Kraftwerk would definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like them a lot. You know, I'm, I'm, I can. I'm really fascinated by their sound. And but uh, and then we saw them here in L.A. Uh, whatever it was, it was like you know, just before this cracker thing and there was you know four old guys with laptops and it's one of the best shows I've ever seen. It was up there with Joy, seeing Joy Division Live and stuff like this. It was just like a really, you know, and I realized... They were doing the projections at that yeah, point. Yeah, what I realized... Yeah, I mean, I, that's, that was a re that's a really tight show. Well, I think I, I saw that show I, around then too. I, I realized that a you could do a really good show with just a laptop if you had a really good visuals and be really good sound so then i realized if i'm going to do it it, can, it has to be with good visuals and with a good sound otherwise what's the point of doing it so you're going back to the video thing the, the visuals were because I, I know if even now if i did the show now without the visuals it would be it would be kind of interesting for 10 minutes but it would 
get a bit boring. There's not something to. Li- Why well, I don't think so. I, I don't. I don't personally think I would find it interesting to be in the audience listening to it for a long time. I, th- I mean, I think it could be really interesting for people who are really into it. I mm. think I would be into it. So that's it, about but, three people. <laughs> but the vi- the visual. I mean, we're on radio, so we can't show people. But the. I don't know. Can they see this on YouTube or something? Horrible quality again. Well, if you if you if you imagine fantastic visuals and this is even better. Yeah. Basically. Do you have a, do you have a Do you have a DVD? No, I, 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 you I, should do a DVD. No, I don't. I, I want to do a Blu-ray. Then can't see the point of doing okay, a DVD. Okay, a Blu-ray. Yeah. I mean, again, you have to do it better, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So no, I don't. But uh, I'm still using a lot of the visuals. But you had so you had the idea to do that if you did a live show, you would have this visual aspect before Matt asked you to do yeah. Unsound? Well, I, wa- then, I wanted the visuals to be... The visuals are there. They, there's, you know, to, they really pull you in. And the idea is to pull you in and keep you focused. You know, there's, there's a reason for you kind of to, be, to be watching watching this. You know, and they seem to work. People seem to like them. So I know it looks like I did the, you know, the right approach. Kind of, the visuals are supposed to work like the music does. It kind of brings you to this headspace. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think to me they seem very... It's like mm-hmm. the visuals are very dark and kind of... To me, they seem like almost satanic. Well, there you go. Because well, 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 there, there, there was some Kabbalah, but how this satanic references have so taken away the Kabbalah stuff. Well, you did, yeah, well, you did this. We, well, we let me, have to let me, let me, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> but the, the visual, you, people like you come along and say, because of early music, oh, it's demonic and it's demon. Those me, are demonic but what visuals. I, what, what I, what I, <laughs> trademark. <laughs> what I see is little, it's fluffy. Fluffy rabbits and flowers and stuff. Yeah, but it. Huh. Well, by the way, I people, saw a lot of fire. Well, the, the images. You know, the images are very symbols out. that seemed satanic. Seems satanic. <laughs> You're probably looking at the exit sign in the venue or something. <laughs> Man, the acid's really kicking in. <laughs> These visuals are great. Whereas, uh, you know, for people who haven't seen the visual, the point of the visuals they're very abstract and they're kind of. There's a lot. It's up to your. It's like the music. It's a lot, a lot of the interpretation of the. Of the or the visuals is what you see. It's playing around, you know, how how we see we see shapes in clouds and fire and stuff. It's playing with those things that people see what they people see patterns in the in the visuals even when when there are no actual images in there, just abstract things like flames. So and to you, smoke. it's just kind of like abstract beauty in a way. Well, it's deliberate. It's, you know, it's been deliberately created to create a sense. Well, hopefully, create a sense. And um, kind of that's one thing I've been pleased with the reaction that people have seen them. Uh, very positive and they, they, they do seem to work there like the way they're meant to. So when you play live, are you very, it sounds like you must be very strict with your tech writer. Um, in theory, yeah, but sometimes they don't deliver as you well know. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying it always gets delivered, but I'm, but if you, I, I've if actually, you work, I don't it, think it, I've seen your tech writer myself, but I'm guessing it's, it's very deliberate and. Yeah, I used to have a swimming, swimming pool on there. Yeah. Just to catch people out. Yeah. Backstage, yeah, back, heated swimming pool backstage, and then so if they didn't ask you about that, you knew knew they hadn't looked. But also, actually, I did the show in Moscow, and then about six weeks before the show, the guy emailed me, and go, oh, we have a problem with this. There's no, I won't do the Russian accent. There's no venue in Moscow with a swimming pool. There's one we found one that isn't all that good, but there's a swimming pool just down the street. Will that do? And I said, well, and I wrote him back, like, don't you know who I am? I want a swimming pool at backstage. <laughs> And then I emailed him back. He was kind of freaking out. So it's a joke, you know. Just forget about <laughs> it. Well, I think with uh, with Van Halen, they famously put that they wanted the bowl of only green M and M's backstage, uh, yeah. and so they're the they claim that the reason that they put that they only mm-hmm. wanted a bowl of green, just green M and M's, is that if they showed up 
and they went backstage before they set up mm. and the bowl of green M&Ms was there. Like, they didn't give a fuck about the yeah. green M&Ms. It was just, it Did showed them can... that like, oh, okay, these guys read, they read the rider, everything's going to be cool. That's pretty funny because I used to have black M&Ms on my rider. <laughs> you did <not>. For the <laughs> Krakow show, because I hadn't played in 25 years, friends of mine here in LA, they, said they found some black M&Ms and gave them to me. Look, these had to be backstage. You should have it in your rider, black M&Ms. So, so I put them in there for a few, for about a year or two. I don't even eat, I don't even eat M&Ms, which is funny. <laughs> okay, so um, maybe we should listen to another track. Oh, by the listen? way, the track we've just been listening to is unreleased. Okay, what is it? Why don't you well, tell no, us about no, that? No, we spoke all the way through it. People can, in a year, it'll be out in a year or so. It'll be out in a year yeah. or so. Okay. Mm-hmm. And is most of your music still self-distributed? Or are you releasing on, like, I know you some of these CDs you gave me here are Ants and uh, yeah. a lot of them are your own. I think the last one was on Touch. The one before that was on Black is Never Black. Worked with Hydrohead a few times, too. So Okay, yeah. so you've worked with a lot of labels. Yeah, oh, I've worked with a bunch of labels. Yeah. I like to try different different people for different things yeah. okay so should we check out a track from the dread album the oh sure one? yeah that's a good so uh-huh. um we're gonna get into that mm-hmm. and just to let you all know you're listening to the bunker new york on red bull radio we're here in los angeles with les Mord, and we'll be back with some more interview in a little bit Yes. 
you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. We are here uh, live in Los Angeles with Les Mord, uh, listening to a track from Dread, which I think this is your latest release. Yeah, it's just like a side project I'm doing. Yeah. Came out less than a year ago, I think. I'm not too sure. Less than a year. Oh, I see. So it's not, it's on, it's on the Les Mord Bandcamp, but the, mm. the, this is, Dread is the artist's name of this. Well, the project name, yeah. Yeah. So how did how did that come about? Like you doing dubs? Well, I've always done dubs. I just don't release many of them, and mostly I, I've always wanted to do my own dub album. I when people ask me to do remixes, I often do dub versions because it's fun and interesting to do. And then uh, I, I've been meaning to do a dub album for a while, and I finally got around to it. Basically, yeah. Um, so is uh, where does your interest in dub come from is this something that you've been listening to for a long time or a new interest or no no i i actually listened started listening when it, when it was first developing which is in the late 70s i was buying all these jamaican import things now, now i don't have them anymore but now those are things that are going for ridiculous money you know hundreds and sometimes thousands what but happened to them mine yeah i sold them and used the money to buy cds and stuff oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> i sold them as a profit you know? yeah when i sold them they were going for like 50 bucks each or something but uh, I was going to say um, now. Well, I mentioned Kraftwerk before. There's, yeah. a, there's a there's a kind of a theme, and the, the music really gets. I, I love that the bass lines. I love the space between the notes. You know, dub definitely has that. But I also dub is very close to, and it's also very influential about what I do too. Using the stu- the studio as the instrument. In, in my case these days, the studio is actually in a Mac Pro with, you know, but software but using this that's another thing going back to about playing live is how do you when the when the studio is your instrument how do you play live because you can't take the studio with you because what as right. things evolves finally you could you could literally push put your studio in the laptop and then you can now you can do it so, yeah. yeah yeah i guess that was that for uh it was like a studio record only thing for the jamaicans right yeah and and dub was it was pretty huge in the uk i'm sure it was very like in the punk rock era but don't forget also adrian sherwood and well that was late that was uh late 80s i think that's no he started in the mid 80s he had had a label called cry tough i think it was called anyway um cry tough dub encounters yeah yeah the first one chapter one was particularly good but the thing with with britain and like you know one thing we had in britain in the 50s there was a big push to bring Migrants from Jamaica and India and Pakistan because to do jobs that people, locals didn't want to do, basically. And you know, obviously, we were always going through this nonsense with racism and cultural uh, backlash and stuff. So, but so that was unpopular at the time. But of course, within a couple of generations, you have a whole you have British people, you know, kids who are, who are British who happen to have a Jamaican heritage or Indian heritage so the right. culture so now we have wonderful Indian food in Britain and we also have you know the, the musical influence from Jamaica was huge you know the, you had kids well you had people from Jamaica living in London playing all this re- reggae and ska and dub music and making a people noticed it and people could people hit, heard this new sound and it was you know it was very influential in Britain yeah and led to drum and bass and a whole bunch of stuff of indirectly directly and indirectly yeah yeah um, so what are we what are we listening to now? This is the is this uh, the gang of four. No, you can put that one if you want. This is uh, <laughs> this is some. I think it's Eastern Britain. He lives in Austria. Some guy asked me to do a remix of his track, and I did this really as I usually. So this is a dub mix too. This is a dub mix. It's, I think it takes, it's taken a while to put the beats to come yeah. in. But uh, so after the uh, over the years, you've collaborated with a lot uh, of people uh-huh. on dubs and things. I mean, how. Um, 
how does this come about? Why, like... Well, if it's interesting, you know, usually... On your, like, resume or bio that you sent me, the list of people that you've collaborated with is really long. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do say no a lot, yeah. Yeah, because you've done... I mean, you've done a ton on your own as well, but yeah. uh, what, I guess, what's... what's... Well, so, well, sometimes somebody wants to work with you, and you know, a lot of the time, because I have this... I'm known for doing my sound, and these days, for some weird reason, people copy my sound. And a lot of those people want to work with me, and I don't see the, I don't see any point whatsoever in that either, creatively or kind of intellectually. I mean, there's no, I don't find it at least bit interesting. But then when you ask somebody like the Melvins, for example, they ask to work on an album. Well, that sounds interesting. That's going to be different. That's yeah. So you yeah. did you did an entire album with the Melvins. Exactly. Yeah. And how how did that like? What was your so they're they're a rock band. You're more of a studio guy like how did this how did that work out just technically i worked just fine we you know we, we, we got on really well we just we had, we had a, they were really good people we had a really good time it was a lot of fun there well I, I spent a lot of time in the studio with them too and i worked on things separately and it was also really funny Actually, i was speaking to somebody a few days ago who was really annoyed because he was a big Melvins fan and buzz from the Melvins and both uh, myself have both gone on record as saying that there's people who think it's the Melvins is actually me, I did that or people think it's my bit that they did that so we, we don't actually tell people who did what because it's kind of fun to fuck with people right and uh, but uh, it goes back to what I was saying in the beginning of the conversation too about starting off and finding kindred people or people you know on the same page yeah, yeah they were a rock band but we're, we speak the same language we're, we yeah. believe in the same things we're, oh yeah I, yeah I mean I can see I'm so, a huge Melvin fan I so can it made see the connection yeah. for sure so yeah the musically is very different but where we're coming from and where we're trying to do is, is very similar so it we, we understood each other we like I said, we spoke the same language and we have the same sense of humor, which helps a lot, especially with those guys. So what about live? I mean, you have all these collaborations on mm. record recordings. Mm. What about live collaboration? Is that something you're interested in or have done over the years? I'm or? interested in, but it's not something that's really happened. I think that's a, another one of those good questions. Yeah, there's no, I don't really have a particularly interesting answer for that one. It just hasn't happened. I'm open to it. Yeah. Though. Well, there was the biosphere thing. Yeah, let's say about that. That was a disaster. Yeah. That didn't go. Yeah, I forgot. Well, the, well, the whole point with that, that was supposed to be a collaboration, but when the other person's not actually doing anything, it's kind of pointless. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that was a cool live show, but. Yeah. 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 Then, well, apart from the fact he wasn't actually doing anything, so he was thrown out. So. <laughs> Which is a shame, because on paper, that would have been really, it should have been really good. Yeah. Has that, so is that maybe held you back from wanting to attempt other oh no at all no you can't put it down to because that i remember that I, I really enjoy collaborating a lot yeah. yeah but that collaboration maybe it wasn't um something that you somebody that you met and was like oh we really get along it's no. going to be a great collaboration it was kind of it was all theoretical on paper and some well it was it, that was a suggestion from matt from unsound that they 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 got that going but you know, i know Gear's early work is really it's really interesting. I thought, oh yeah, it would be interesting to say us working together makes sense. It would could it should be sonically the results at the very least would be interesting. Yeah. But he wasn't really doing anything, so it was you know, apart from sulking and you know, pouting and yeah, you know, and not Because it was a cool concept, you guys yeah. what did you, you went out to the desert. Oh we went out to it was about it, it was I came up with this idea about doing a project about the first atomic bomb test, Trinity. So we went, we went to the test site, we went to Los Alamos where they developed the, the atom bomb thing, you know, did some location recordings. Yeah, it was, it was the con conceptually it was great. That, that was so, why it was so annoying that it's kind of, you know, he wasn't really doing anything because it was like... Yeah. It was a really good idea. I mean, and it was a powerful live show. I remember yeah. the visuals were really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, Actually, we recorded one of the shows, I think it was in Boulder. 
and I was we listened to it the multi track. I I was doing music for 50 minutes. He was doing it for 12. <laughs> he was supposed to doing it you know, all the way through. I don't know what the hell he was doing. Anyway, he was an idiot. Well, it's a shame though. He's a nice. I don't know. It was it was it was stupid. Yeah. So well, before we run out of I've, time, I've here. gone and finished that project by myself. Anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> before we run out of time here, are there any like upcoming? Um, Records, tours, anything you want to talk about? Uh, no, I don't think so. I've got a show in Germany next week. I've got two albums. I've got the Trinity, the album Trinity. That's done. So I just need to find a label to, to release that. I've also just uh, done a soundtrack for Paul Schrader. I think I mentioned that to you. Yeah. So his latest movie that'll be coming out next year. That, that, um, I'm quite proud of that one. The movie's. You know, I've worked on all these movies. Like, if you look at my credits, you a long list of. Yeah, there was a long list. Yeah, of but movies. you don't have to mention any names. But there's some really bad movies. You know, they're really hugely, hugely successful, but they're not. You know, they're not actually good. They're just you're going to name. There's some funny ones on there too. Yeah, they're, I see a couple of Fox mm-hmm. Television. I don't, I don't actually don't know what a lot of these movies are. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some. You know, some you work in a movie, and it's you know, people go, "Oh my god, that you know, they they hype it because it was number one at the box office." Yeah, it was number one for like maybe two days until words got around that it was shit yeah and then then it disappears but yeah occasionally you get to work on something really cool and this well, Ra- seems like you, you this must en- one is really cool yeah you um, must enjoy working on movies because i mean well it's, you've been you've done it you're still doing it you have a movie you did it this year and you were doing it back in 1994 so yeah but a lot of stuff yeah we also you know, we, again going back to the conversation talking about when you're doing things like this it's really hard to make a living but if you're doing music for example and somebody pays you to do music for a movie it's a day job but you still get to work on music you still get to yeah, do no, your own I thing think that, that's how you make a living you know that's how you make some money i think it's a really smart approach you've done some commercials you've done some commercials yeah i actually motion pictures commercials were funny because i thought the guys the guys doing you know my agents they were just assholes they were just really sleazy in you know commercials you know they're just it's such a so you had somebody who was working for you is like this guy well, can do to, well, this guy to, can do your maybelline commercial well, exactly. it's gonna be great exactly less more he's the best thing less more but than maybelline they it's, were just bullshitting people about how wonderful i was and it's all bull, you know it's commercial so it's all bullshit but they started bullshitting me so I, was, I told them in the beginning, like, if we're going to work together, don't bullshit with me because uh, <laughs> it doesn't work. And sure enough, being advertising guys, they were bullshitting me. And I told Unbelievable. them. Unbelievable. And I told Hollywood them. Hollywood advertising guys bullshitted you? Well, actually, they were from New York. So, <laughs> New York? No way. Shock. Yeah, I know you're shocked. <laughs> Who'd have thought? I, I can't even. I told, I told them what I thought about them, and, and uh, I haven't worked in commercials since. <laughs> Okay, well, um, we only have a few minutes left here, so I think we're just going to listen to music until the end of the show. But thank you so much for joining well, us today. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been really wonderful. Um, and you, for the three people listening, thank to you too. Yeah. Well, I think we, we lost some a while ago with the uh, whole comment about the laptop speakers and stuff. <laughs> I think we the numbers dropped. So that worked. We insulted them, yeah. So to the, I don't know, one person left. Thanks a lot. Um, so you're listening to The Bunker in New York on Red Bull Radio. We're here in Los Angeles. We have one more show from here uh, tomorrow with M. Gettys Gangris. And uh, yeah, it's been a really great, great week. Thanks for listening and tune in tomorrow. It's Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. I'm
Hot